Everybody and welcome again to another edition of the BTHO, this podcast. I, of course, am Nick Kruger, as always, of TheOther98.com, rejoined by my trusty uh, co-host, back after after a couple-week hiatus. Uh, Put me in, coach. <laughs> Colton Chumley, welcome back to the show. Uh, hopefully, you're feeling refreshed and, and ready to go for a, for a strong podcast performance. Ready to rock, my man. Uh, just started back on the workout routine, so I'm over here thriving, buddy. Wow, boy, that sounds good. Um, so listen, so for for anybody who might have missed us last week, you know, we kind of unofficially made the decision to sort of go on an every other week sort of schedule as far as podcasting is concerned, which um, which I don't know if honestly we can stick to, uh, considering you know what's what's ahead and the and the maybe we'll maybe we'll take one more week off after this one, but I think after that we got to go back to a weekly situation because we're going to have guys coming in for official visits on a weekly basis. Uh, we're seeing now, you know, the coaches have uh, you know hit the road on the recruiting trail and started uh, handing out a few more offers uh, to guys around the country, you know, so there will be some following up to do there. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, the week off, I think serves this particular podcast well, because now all of a sudden we have a ton of stuff to talk about, uh, both, both in the recruiting world, uh, just, and, and in general with the, uh, with the football program and, and obviously the biggest, uh, headlines, uh, over the past couple of weeks have come from the NFL draft and the success that Texas A&M had, uh, sending some players into the NFL, not, not just guys that were drafted, but guys that were signed as undrafted free agents afterwards too. And, uh, certainly there were su- some, uh, surprises, uh, you know, I guess kind of across the board. And, you know, I, I, I think at this point, a lot of analysis has gone into, um, you know, the guys that were picked, the fits on their teams, things like that. Um, so, so we don't need to break down each individual guy and, and what that means, but, but just generally speaking, uh, chum, I mean, what were your kind of thoughts on, on what Texas A&M had to show for itself coming out of the NFL draft? I mean, anytime you have seven guys taken off the board, I think it's fantastic. Uh, it's tough to really, uh, kind of express how I feel though, because I think Aggies a lot, all Aggies alike were very excited to see where a guy like Travion Williams is going to uh, land, and he comes off the board in the sixth round after shattering records. Uh, you know, rushing for over seventeen hundred yards. I mean, just being the workhorse for the entire twenty eighteen season. So that one was a was a pretty tough pill to swallow, especially uh, you know when you look at some of the intangibles that he has, uh, especially off the field, just kind of the, the uh, in terms of character and things like that. Uh, but Man, how about Jay Sternberger, dude? I mean, could you have picked a better landing spot for a guy like that, being able to catch balls from Aaron Rodgers? Well, let me ask you this, Chum. Do you you play fantasy football? Uh, Every other year, man. Uh, I'm not, not as consistently as I used to in college, but yeah. Well, so here's here's the thing. Uh, uh, I, I mean, there. Listen, you're you're theoretically you're correct. That is a good landing spot for for Jace, uh, considering you know how, how prolific of a pass catcher he proved himself to be in Texas A&M. But you know, the one thing that say say what you want to about Aaron Rodgers, all the accolades that he uh, you know that he's accumulated for himself, the success that he, the success that he's had as a as a professional quarterback. I mean, truthfully, you know, outside of Jermichael Finley, like al- almost. Uh, we're coming up on uh, maybe not quite a decade, but like definitely more than five years ago. I mean, really, the tight end is not 
been a, a, a heavy point of focus for Aaron Rodgers up there in Green Bay. Now, they do have a new head coach, and so maybe uh, there'll be some changes offensively to, to what goes on up there, and maybe we'll see kind of a resurgence of, of the tight end in, in Green Bay. But, um, but yeah, I mean, gen- generally speaking, I think you're right. I mean, as far as, as, far as not having to worry about uh, how consi- you know, when the ball is thrown his direction, you know it's going to be the right read, it's going to be the right situation for him to, to go out there and make a play. Uh, you think that is, so? So are you saying that's the biggest win of the draft for you know? I guess for a Texas A and M player. Well, well, here's my thing, and I've actually watched a lot of Green Bay for whatever reason. I have a, a couple of buddies who are hardcore uh, cheeseheads, man, and I feel like I've watched more of their games than the Cowboys games in recent years for whatever reason. But uh, I don't think they've necessarily had any tight end on their roster that's as versatile as Jace. Uh, you know, Jace is a guy you can line up in the slot pretty flawlessly. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, you can move him around. He can play, you, he can line him up in the backfield. He's really, uh, pretty similar to a Jason Witten, a more athletic Jason Witten in terms of, uh, his versatility. So I think that's uh, the big reason why it's such a good, uh, su- such a good landing spot for a guy like him. Uh, in terms of the biggest winner, I, dude, I don't know how you choose anybody, but, uh, Colin Gillespie. <laughs> I, I saw a tweet uh, after he, he. I saw a tweet. It said something to the effect of, "Y'all, the Texans just drafted a mascot." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brutal! Disrespectful! <laughs> Disrespectful! No, you know, honestly, dude. Um, I'm in a, a group message with uh, Jay and Ted, and the three of us were all just shocked to see him come off the board. I mean. He's a guy who's going to make his living on special teams. I think everybody knows that because uh, I don't necessarily think he has a position at the next level. I mean, wh- where do you see a guy like Gillespie line up? I mean, I don't necessarily think he's really found a home at fullback. Do you? Well, I mean, you've you know you you'd be you'd be more familiar with that sort of scenario for me. I think I think the the question is is isn't whether or not you know he he should or shouldn't play fullback. Uh, if, if we're going to, well, I guess, I guess what I should say is like in the context of him playing fullback, you just got to think about how many teams effectively utilize the fullback position anymore. And, and it's, and it's cliche to talk about every team going to a spread or, or read options all the time and things like that, even at the pro level. Um, but, but honestly speaking, I mean, you know, I know, I know the Jaguars use a fullback, you know, Tommy Bohannon was, uh, was a quality player for the past couple of years. I think they got a new guy in, uh, this year. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, just generally speaking, you know, the power, the power run game is, is something that, um, is more of a situational, uh, sort of play rather than a, than a philosophical play for, for most teams at this point. So, you know, if you're going to come into the league as a fullback, you really need to be more of an H back. And, uh, but, but I mean, if he can, if he can carve out a role on special teams, more power to him. I mean, you don't get, you don't get drafted and not expected to at least, you know, have, have a legitimate shot at a 53 man roster. Well, right. No question. And I think uh, it's rare you find a guy with his intangibles. Uh, I mean, when do you see a guy that's his that's his size, uh, you know, run a four five forty? I mean, it's just not mm. not a common thing that, that that's on the market. So uh, I think he's definitely got some employable traits about him. Obviously, he's a locker room guy. I mean, all of his teammates love him from what I understand. And uh, overall, man, it's just awesome, dude. I mean, I would have never in a thousand years imagined the word saying Texas A&M 12th man drafted. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's just, it's, it's unfathomable almost. 
Yeah, that I mean that's I I can understand what you're saying for sure. I mean that that's a point of of pride I can understand but I but I don't like emotionally connect with because I don't have that, you know, that the same background that you do uh, around the program, but I but I could totally appreciate that and I'm happy for him. I'm happy for all the guys, even the guys that got on uh, you know, signed as undrafted free agents because I think you know, a lot of us were thinking that um, you know, a guy like Ataro Alaka you know, obviously nobody was expecting him to be, you know, a high draft pick, but somebody that, you know, people were thinking could potentially be drafted. A guy like Tyrell Dotson, same situation. Um, you know, those guys ultimately didn't end up getting picked in the in the draft proper, I guess you could say. But I mean, getting signed immediately as an un, undrafted free agent is, you know, in some cases tantamount for, for guys of their talent level and what they've shown, um, you know, to, to being a seventh round draft pick in some cases. Well, you, you know, the, the big thing here that uh, I guess the biggest takeaway for me here is if you're not going to get picked up in fourth round or below I think it's almost it almost behooves you to go undrafted because that way you and your agent you and your team can kind of uh, be very selective in where you land and you can you know evaluate those rosters see what the easiest path to get onto the 53 is like and, uh, you know, I think that's where guys like Tyrell guys like Ataro uh, they're going to benefit the most. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting to um, you know we'll we'll have to we'll have to see what ultimately ends up becoming of them. You know, because not just not just Green Bay with um, Kingsley and Jace get, getting the getting the double whammy of, of Texas A and M players. Uh, I believe because Dodson went to Baltimore, correct? And that's also where Dalen Mack was drafted. So there's there's a one two punch there for in, in Baltimore, right? And if there and and I think if if there's one thing that uh, Baltimore has shown, you know, throughout the, you know, the I guess the past couple decades, really, I guess since they were a Super Bowl caliber team, you know, the hallmarks of the of, of the toughest parts of their defense have always been, you know, the, those first two Front levels, seven. up yeah, right. So so uh, you know, for for those guys, you know, to come in is maybe you know lower round guys or undrafted guys, um, you know, and whether or not. Baltimore is ultimately the team that they stay on, you know, at least in the in the very beginning, they'll be in a culture that sort of fosters the development for for those two guys. Uh, another guy who kind of slipped under the radar, not a lot of people are talking about, but uh, Trevor Wood, man, uh, ending up in Pittsburgh. I think that's a really great spot for him. I think uh, that he has a real shot at making the 53 as well. So, and and this is the last thing I kind of want to talk about, but it's sort of the biggest headline as far as the draft is concerned, and, and something you mentioned. But but I think it bears a little bit more conversation. I mean, you know how how big of a deal is it that Travion went in the sixth round? You know, I mean, is that you know is that something? Because because we were taught he was the first guy that we were talking about uh, as soon as the season was over in terms of will he go to the league? What's his draft potential? Et cetera, et cetera. I mean, he was going to be the. I, I mean, certainly, you know, McCoy going in the second was, you know, was thought to be a borderline first round pick. I, I know you had some uh, predictions that he would go in the first round. It didn't work out that way because of trades and things like that. But I mean, but but Travion was, you know, the the name that people were were looking for. And now he falls into a situation in Cincinnati where it's like, um, you know, Joe Joe Mixon is a really talented running back, and uh, you know, and. And Giovanni uh, Bernard has been there for for a couple of years. He may, maybe this speaks to him kind of being on the way out because Travion is is kind of a do it all sort of player. But um, because because Bernard is you know recently I, I you know it's kind of like a year removed from a, a pretty bad ACL injury I think even though he played last season. So 
Um, you know, I mean, but but is it a big deal that he kind of went so late in the draft? I mean, obviously, we would have liked to have seen him go a little bit higher, but I don't even know if this is like the most ideal situation for him. What, you know, what are your kind of lasting thoughts on Travion going where he went? Right, man. Well, it's it's disheartening for sure. I mean, any any way that you look at it, uh, especially when you consider, like you just said, he's going to a place with a pretty established backfield. And, and granted, it's uh, fortunate in a way that they have, you know, in years past, typically leaned on a committee to run the ball in Cincinnati. So he could have an opportunity there. And don't don't get me wrong. I mean, Travion's got a lot of, uh, you know, employable traits about him dude i mean he's in a phenomenal in pass protection he can catch the ball out of the backfield and he's got the home run speed so i think he's gonna find a roster whether or not that's in cincinnati i don't know i think it's gonna be tough going against two proven vets like that um but you know i i think uh a guy with his talent can't be ignored uh, at the end of the day and, and he'll find a spot man i just think the biggest thing for him is finding continuity and fi- finding a system that he's most comfortable with you know i could talk myself into into thinking that cincinnati is actually a pretty advantageous situation for him because and and obviously they've got a new head coach out there um you know ch- pro- again another change in offensive philosophy we'll probably expect to see but you know joe i mean joe mixon last season especially after aj green got hurt i mean joe mixon w- was you know the most talented guy on the roster offensively and he got dinged up throughout the year he's still yeah i mean he he ran tough all year long uh but but he's a guy that you know was definitely their bell cow last year and sometimes their offense just was not clicking and he would still get 20 carries and not have much to show for it or it would be like a 28 carry you know 75 yard like grinded out sort of day for him um you know and he's i i could i could see a situation where you know if that's if that's going to be ultimately what they end up looking at saying like "Eh, you know what i mean this is still our best chance to to keep games close and to give ourselves a chance to win is, is start up, up on the ground. You know, I, and I think, like I mentioned about Bernard, I think at this point, you know, Travian might be better suited to be the two and the one, two punch and kind of alleviate some of that workload for Mixon. but he's got to prove it in, in training camp, I think. Right. Well, th- that's the thing, man, is, is you're no matter which way you slice it, you're still going up against Giovanni Bernard. Who, what man, he's been in the league five years now. Yeah, no, no, yeah, closer to ten, I think, at this point. Oh, he's been really? Wow, yeah, he's been around for a while. He's been around Damn, for a while. Man, he's, he's always, he's always I mean, going back to fantasy football. He's always like, you get, you get into like round, round nine and eleven. Right, exactly. And, yeah, that late round flyer, right? <laughs> more running backs on the board, and you're like, well, you know, the, the guy Geo, Geo's one injury away from being like a sub one thousand yard rusher, you know, right. at any point in the season. So, well, well, uh, that's that's kind of the thing I wanted to hit on, though, man. That's tough. Is he's also a pretty versatile dude. Like he's he can catch the ball out of the backfield. Like he brings a lot of those same traits that Travion does. I don't know, man. It's just going to be tough. He's going to have to have one hell of a uh, you know camp to to really make his mark, dude. Well, here's here's what I'll say about if I was just to uh, hypothesize about you know what the situation could be out there. Um, you know, you're coming. So he gets drafted by the Bengals. Who who di- who hired who in the off season? Jim Turner. Right. 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 Wow. Yeah. 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 Turner. So Turner probably gave gave uh, had had a little bit of an input when they you know when they were kind of you know formulating their value board for for the draft. You know, hey, take a look at Travion if he's available. Um, You know, especially as an offensive line coach knows you know knows what he does well as a running back knows you know you know what sort of 
run, you know, run schemes and stuff work best for him. You know, and then on top of that, I mean, like we said, it's a new coaching staff out there that's coming with fresh eyes. I mean, if you would have told you, you know, if, if it was Marvin Lewis still running the show out there, obviously there would probably be a bias towards uh, Bernard. And then, too, I mean, it's like I said, I mean, Bernard is not a spring chicken. I mean, at this point, you know, I'm not going to say that he would welcome giving up the the number two role, but I think he would be more inclined to, um, you know, be be at least a little bit more of a mentor, even even if he doesn't necessarily mean to. But but to try and get, uh, you know, to try and get Travion acclimated, because even even if we're talking about, um, you know, uh, the top two guys being the guys that get the lion's share of the carries, you, you never you, you always have to talk about. Uh, running back staffs in the NFL as a three-person group. I mean, because the because the third person is going to have some kind of significant role on, in, in one way or the other, uh, whether it's through injury, whether it's through pass, uh, be, being involved in the passing game, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, we'll wish him the best. I mean, the six round, you know, six round selection is disappointing, you know, in terms of phase value. But I think, you know, I, I, like I said, I could talk myself into thinking that it's a, it's the right fit and a good opportunity for him. No question, man. Uh, you know, we'll have to see. Uh, I think uh, fall camp's going to be interesting, man. Got a lot of Aggies on on rosters to keep an eye on, so that, that'll be that'll be a lot of fun. That sounds like a good content idea for us at the other ninety eight here, <laughs> coming up in a couple of months. Uh, so, okay, so I mean, hey, listen, that's great conversation about the NFL draft. Let's move on to uh, guys that are actually potentially joining uh, the college team uh, as it is right now, and and none bigger. Uh, than than uh, Fadil Diggs at this point. We're recording here on a Thursday evening. I'm I'm gonna get this uh, turned around and posted probably, uh, or you know I guess I guess probably before 9 p.m. is what we're shooting for on a Thursday night. Uh, Fadil Diggs announced that uh, he's gonna be announcing his commitment on Saturday. Uh, Chum, before you and me started recording, I I told you I was sending a text message. I, I was actually talking to a trainer of Fadil's uh, who who was trying to help me get in touch with them. Uh, as I've lamented in the past, I've had uh, time after time, I've had uh, trouble trying to connect with them. Uh, and his trainer finally gave the word to me that he's just flat out not doing interviews, which, you know, if he would have said that to me at, <laughs> up front, it would have saved me a couple of weeks worth of frustration. Uh, so that's, but, but I think at this point it's, you know, I mean, it, it, the, the conversation was he was choosing between Texas A&M and Penn state essentially, um, with all indications, you know, being a, a likely Texas A&M decision. And, um, you know, I mean, just going back to, I, I, I think he he responded to a tweet by Antonio Doyle, who's going to be taking, who's a linebacker from Missouri, who's going to be taking an official visit next month uh, to, to Texas A&M. Um, uh, Antonio Doyle made a, made a comment to the effect, like, I'm going to be playing in an SEC defense. And, you know, he's real, he's essentially choosing between A&M and Missouri. Uh, to which Fidel responded, we already talked about this, bro. Um, you know, obviously Penn State is not an SEC team. You can do the math there. It seems like it's a foregone conclusion that Fidel Diggs will be the first commitment in a long time for Texas A&M uh, this weekend if everything, you know, if everything holds up the way it's looking. And, we, and we've seen Fidel go back and forth with a number of other, uh, you know, recruits and offers that Texas A&M seems to be pretty uh, heavily involved with as well over the past couple of weeks. So, um, you know, let's just talk about it as though he's committed because it seems like that's going to be the case. Uh, you know, your your thoughts on on Fidel uh, being the latest commitment to Texas A&M? Well, uh, you know, right. I mean, I, I agree with you 100 percent. I think that's the the foregone conclusion, kind of the consensus from, uh, you know, most people out there is that he's going to end up in Aggie. And, uh, you know, hopefully he's the guy who, you know, we've kind of talked about this throughout the spring. He's the guy that can give, uh, you know, give the Aggies a shot in the arm and kind of kind of get 
get the ball rolling here a little bit because I think Aggies got a little spoiled uh, in Jimbo's first go around, uh, you know, just kind of seeing commit after commit. And, you know, they're, 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 it just seemed like there was just a constant, you know, well-oiled machine. Right. And uh, there hasn't been a whole lot of that this spring and, and we've talked about it, but uh, just judging by some of the thoughts that, that Jimbo expressed, I don't know if you were able to catch, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that got posted from the Houston TD club. That's somewhere that, that he's typically tries to speak at a couple of times in the off season. Uh, he seems confident uh, from what, from my takeaway. And, you know, this could be a reach. I don't know, but it looks like we could see, a few more guys uh, kind of fall after this uh, after Fidel goes uh, to A and M, and I think he could be could could uh, be a little bit of that snowball effect, that domino effect, and uh, we could see a couple more commits come their way. Well, and this is you know, I mean, everything that you said kind of leads me to the most uh, to the to the next natural point in the conversation. Uh, starting with the fact that you say it could be a shot in the arm, right, to, towards uh, some recruiting momentum for Texas A and M. The thing that goes hand in hand with that is the fact that, you know, Elijah Robinson, defensive tackles coach, is from that Atlantic, that Northeast Atlantic uh, area. And Mike Elko is obviously uh, heavily entrenched and ingrained in the culture out there as well. So you got those two guys, uh, two of the faces of the defense. Well, obviously, Elko is the defensive coordinator. uh, You know, and Elijah Robinson, I think, is, you know, Nobody says low key anymore, but he's kind of low key, one of the best recruiters on staff, right? Because, you know, everybody you talk to just talks about how easy he is to uh, get along with, you know, just just how, you know, just just how well he communicates, how how quickly they connect with him in, in terms of personalities just seems like a really great guy overall. Uh, you know, to be communicating with parents, with kids and things like that. And for him and for for them to to have those sorts of ties to the area with the coaches being able to, you know, um, you know, kind of kind of point to, you know, their achievements and, you know, from from different times of their football career out in that area and use that as their sales pitch towards a lot of these guys. Um, you know, that, that's super effective. And, and, you know, and to the shot of the arm, I mean, we're looking now, you know, ju- just earlier today, uh, Amin Vanover put A&M in his top 10. Isaiah Reikes, I, I'm, or Rakes, I'm not sure how to say his last name, but he came on that visit with uh, Fidel Diggs for the spring game and is also essentially choosing between Penn State and Texas A&M. But it seems pretty, pretty well uh like that to A&M is the favorite with him. Kaziah Izzard is a guy that has A&M in his top six, three 2021 defensive. All these guys that I'm listing here are defensive linemen, right? And that's not talk. I mean, there's other guys from the Northeast that have been offered by Texas A&M, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. But all of these guys are defensive linemen, defensive ends, um, you know, and, and I was going to say three 2021 guys already have offers uh, from, you know, from that Maryland and New Jersey. And th- that's just those two states, Maryland and New, Jer- and New Jersey. Uh, you know, and we saw another kid, uh, 2021 kid out of Pittsburgh, uh, pick up a, a, a offer today from A&M as well. So, you know, that's an area that they're hitting very, very hard. And they're always going to recruit the, the big time defensive lineman from Texas. There's no there's no doubt about that. How could they not? Right. But but as far as like. You know, you're talking about a major, significant pipeline, especially for defensive line talent. There's a lot of really uh, storied programs, power programs, uh, big time private school programs that really develop some top tier. Uh, you know, not just defensive linemen, but prospects across the board up in that northeast. Uh, you know, that northeast territory there. 
uh, that A and M has suddenly got its hooks into pretty well. Uh, no question, dude. I, you know, I think the, the biggest takeaway, I mean, we, you know, you kind of hit on it, dude. I think the job Elijah Robinson is doing is out of this world. And uh, just judging from, you know, some of the kids I've talked to, some of the coaches I've spoken with, uh, he just has this demeanor about him. And and, and it's very down to earth. And, and you know, you, you mentioned he can communicate with these kids very well. He knows how to motivate guys. Uh, he's been... To quote you again, <laughs> the most low-key but crucial addition to this coaching staff and, and the job that him and Terry Price have been doing is, is lights out, man. And it's if it wasn't for them, there, there would not be a whole lot of momentum gathered right now. You know, Derek Hunter, the defensive lineman out of out of Florida, the one thing that, uh, you know, the one thing that he kept saying about um, Elijah Robinson is like he just he just reminded him so much of his dad <laughs> to the point where it was like. He almost he almost looked like his dad. <laughs> he sounded like his dad, but but he but he had that sort of. But that's that's and and that's a little bit of a coincidence as far as the. But but that but that's sort of the like you said the demeanor that he gives off. You know, just something just something that. Com- and and when you're talking about recruiting prospects, you know, you're you're what what's the one thing that every every recruit says when they're going out on a out on a visit or they're going to see a school? They want it to feel like family. Well, when you got a guy coming in. You know that that essentially steps in and sort of gives off the you know the air of a father figure. You know that's going to attract uh, football players to your program, and that's something that he just does naturally. Uh, especially when you're talking about trying to pull guys, you know, not just I, I mean hunters from Florida. We're talking about guys from New Jersey and Maryland. I mean these you know they, those are those are significant distances away from these kids' hometowns. So when you're asking guys to come uh, from that far out of state to come and you know to come and uh, be a part of that program you know you're going to want to have that sort of connection with with your position coach and uh, ultimately i think you know robinson is uh you know just a just a, a heck of a secret weapon uh you know at least with these defensive linemen recruits that the texas a&m is going off after out there and, and you know while we're talking about the coaching staff i think uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how joe john finley adjust uh to recruit in the state of texas man i mean there, there's going to be some big time recruitments he's taking a part of here soon yeah, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, you know, we've seen we've seen A and M dabble a little bit with, uh, you know, with with tight end prospects and athletes. Um, you know, that I I I would have thought that there'd be a little bit more, you know, kind of not not quite urgency, but it, but at least like we'd be seeing a little bit more in terms of guys that they're, you know, that they're thinking about the the the, the guy that they're hitting on in state the hardest is uh, Jalen Conyers out of Groover, Texas, which is you know. Small town, but the kids committed to the All American Bowl uh, here in San Antonio uh, for this for this year, and you know, and A and M seems to be a significant player in his recruitment. But you know, truthfully, a lot of the guys that they've gone after otherwise have sort of been real uh, high end tight end prospects that kind of everybody is competing out over. Um, you know, and and maybe maybe they only go after maybe they only really are shooting to sign one tight end in this class. I don't know. That's kind of yet to be determined as we kind of wait to see. You know how many guys they're looking at taking. How many, you know, how many at each position. You know, things sort of look like they're shaking out to be. But, well, Jimbo just um, just spoke on it just the other day, and you know, claimed that uh, they're trying to sign twenty five in this class. And just looking yeah. at the numbers, man, I don't see it. I, I think you're going to have to have a lot of attrition to sign that. Uh, and and judging by the, how the class is looking right now, obviously it's a long time until February, you know, twenty twenty. But I I just don't see how this class comes away with twenty five guys. 
You know, and, and Finley, too, has not exclusively been recruiting tight ends, too. I mean, he's, he's the main connection to a guy like Antonio Doyle because of his time uh, in, in Missouri. You know, kind of has that regional connection to him uh, and is able to kind of kind of establish that bond there. Um, you know, and I've heard, you know, I've heard, I've heard Finley talk, uh, talking to a couple other recruits, uh, non-tight end prospects as well. So, you know, I, I think but but what's I, I don't know if this is supposed to be like a rite of passage uh or not just generally speaking in college football but why does the tight end the tight ends coach always seems to be like the rah-rah guy for for recruiting staffs right i mean because you're looking at baylor and they got joey mcguire what they what they put him at he's he's the tight ends coach you look at tim brewster he's the tight ends coach uh now we got now we got joe john and, and he's the tight ends coach i mean he, there's got to be so he's, he's probably got something about his personality that uh that makes him an ace recruiter because if you're if you're a tight ends coach you better be a recruiter it seems like oh no question i mean you just look across the country man i mean whether it's jeff trailer up at uh when he was at smu or now at arkansas or uh what's the last chance do you do to uh, clint trickett he's up there with no. um what the, what the hell is uh, the florida the fau guy what's it? uh kiffin so, you, uh-huh. you know, I, I think uh, you've got to have a little bit of charisma about you, a little bit of, uh, you know, you know I, I don't know exactly what, maybe a little bit of swagger. I don't, I don't know exactly what it is, but, but you know it when it's there. You know what I mean? Yeah, maybe because tight end is like the most hokey sounding position in football. So if you're going to come in saying that you're a tight end coach, uh, you, better have, you better have something that, <laughs> that kind of deflects the, the hokiness of saying that <laughs> as a personality. I don't know. Hokey, man, dude. We, we are really breaking out the, the thesaurus here, man. Well, it's pretty clear that you're the tight ends coach of the other 98 <laughs> staff, uh, Chum. So. <laughs> what an honor, dude. That's, dude, so that's no going on the resume, no doubt. <laughs> um, well, or, or the quarterback's coach, as it's been well documented. So either either one of those things. Although the, just by the size of our staff, you probably have to do both. So um, anyway, a little, a little more recruiting talk. I mean, you know, we, we just saw uh, Court Williams, big-time California linebacker prospect, coming in uh, for an official visit uh, last weekend. If you want a you know, full update uh, on how that official visit went and what's next for him, go take a look at uh, theother98.com. There's a pretty good story about that. won't say who wrote it, but uh, – but you know he's but he's another out of state guy, not from the Northeast area. All the linebackers, you know, we've talked about this before. Well, uh, Savelle Smalls or you know a guy like Court Williams. I mean, these guys are coming from the West Coast. Defensive linemen coming from the Northeast. Uh, but but th- it sounds like it sounds like things went really well for Court on the visit. It sounds like he's uh, he's really interested in in what Texas A and M has to offer him. Said the, the said that the uh, the family feel was right. You know, with with his parents and they really enjoyed the trip. He's got an official visit coming up this weekend to Oklahoma. Uh, but really, you know, and I, I got to think if I'm A&M, I mean, that's kind of the main competition there because the other two schools that you mentioned were uh, Tennessee and uh, I can't remember the other one off the top of my head. But, but you know, I mean, t- Tennessee is a <laughs> Tennessee is still a long ways off from, you know, from pulling borderline five star guys from from the other coast uh, to come play for their program. Uh, you know, oh, Ohio State. So Ohio State's going to be a tough one, uh, you know, to overcome, especially when you're talking about recruiting a linebacker. Um, but, but, you know, as far as the, as far as the first official goes, it sounds like he wants to knock out, uh, his, you know, the better, I guess those four officials by the end of summer, um, you know, and save one in the chamber just in case something comes up. But I think it's kind of safe to say at this point, those are his top four teams. Um, you know, and I asked him, I was like, you know, taking an official visit to Texas A&M is your first one when you've got, when you got three more to come, you know, is it going to be tough for you to remember that experience? 
uh, you know, kind of when you're weighing all your options. But and he said no. But I think if you're trying to get them all out of the way in the summer in a relatively short period of time, I don't think that really hurts you quite so much. Uh, it would it would hurt A and M if he took that official visit in the summer, you know, and then took three, two or three in the fall and didn't commit until. Uh, you know, January at an all, all American game or something like that. But, um, but if he's looking to have most of the, his mind made up by the end of summer, um, you know, I think that's pretty good because, you know, he, he was really, yeah, he was the only official visitor that weekend. So they were able to really lock in on him and, and make sure that he was showing a good time. Just looking at this dude's film it is unbelievable. J- just, I say it all the time, but you know, you see a guy who's so instinctive, uh, a guy who, who's very comfortable playing in coverage. His closing speeds, unbelievable. Uh, have you actually been able to get eyes on him yet? No, uh, not not in person, anyway. Uh, you know, I mean, but the but like you said, the film speaks for itself. And when you talk to him about you know what uh, you know what the staff has planned for him, I mean, it really sounds like. You know, it's we're not talking about exclusively just you know uh, slotting men to to one particular linebacker spot in this defense. It really sounds like they have you know a, a, a variety of of roles in mind for them, depending on you know depending on what the down and distance is, situations and and things like that. But I mean, for for somebody to be as versatile as he is, I mean, he did say that the staff has told him if he comes to play for Texas A and M, he'll you know bar none, he'll be the most athletic player <laughs> uh, in the linebacker group. You know, and and just to talk about him as kind of like a hybrid safety sort of player, he kind of speaks to the you know the level of athleticism that he brings to that uh, to that position. Right. You know, he uh, a little bit to a certain retrospect reminds me of uh, Justin Dunning when he was coming into school, uh, but but or maybe even like uh, an Okiki who's on the roster right now. I mean, one of those guys is a little bit of a tweener, but uh, you look at him, and, and I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't have his uh, his listing right in front of me, uh, so I don't know. But I mean. Uh, what is he six three? Uh, yeah, he look. Uh, yeah, here we can call up his profile right now. See, see what he's looking like these days. But uh, but, but I mean, it looks like he has the potential to put on a lot of weight and and be a freaking mammoth by the time he's. A yeah, I mean, man. you could say that, but you know, here's here's the. I, I think you kind of. I, I think you kind of maybe want to be careful with that because. Uh, you know, because think about the context in which we're talking about bringing him to the team. I mean, if he does, if he does something. You know, if 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 athletically we're talking about all the things that he does so well, um, you know, kind of being the hallmark of of the way that he plays and what he can bring to the defense. You know, you don't want to you don't want to start. He, he's listed at six one two sixteen, which seems small. I, he probably doesn't have an updated uh, height and weight in there. Um, but but just the same. I mean, you know, go, going back to my conversation about the the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, you know, the the guy. The guy that was was leading the charge at linebackers, Telvin Smith. I mean, when he was drafted, he was you know a six foot one, you know two twenty five guy. I mean, they they had you know they had defensive backs uh, on the roster that were weighing more than him, and he was playing at linebacker. But you know, when you're talking about what he can bring to the table in coverage, in terms of like you said, closing speed, um, you don't want to you don't want to weigh that down. Uh, you want to let that you want to let that loose as you know as as much as you can, and um, you know. So I think I think that might be the the vision for him. Right. And, you know, I could see him definitely sliding out, playing a little bit of nickel, you know, in a pinch as well. So uh, I'm really excited about, you know, what, where the Aggies stand with him. Obviously, being able to get an OV from him early in the process is great. Uh, like you said, though, it's, it's going to be interesting to see when he lines up those other visits, man. Speaking of official visitors that we got coming up, none, uh, none really on the books other than him, I think, as of right now for the rest of this month. But that obviously can change. Coming up in June, there's two guys that we have to look out for. That's Christian Stories, an athlete out of 
Louisiana, who put uh, Texas A&M in his top five uh, about a month ago. Um, and Antonio Doyle, who I mentioned before, is really just it's a two horse race uh, between A&M and Mizzou in that situation. Um, you know, and I've talked to Antonio. I, I've talked to Christian a little bit, too, actually, after he, after he was offered. Um, but but Antonio is a guy that, um, you know, seems to be seems to be more of the prototypical type of linebacker, kind of the guys that we, we saw A&M pursue on uh, the 2019 class as well, like a like a Chris Russell and, a, uh, you know, Keyshawn uh, Miller and, and, you know, guys like that that are, you know, the bigger, bigger type dudes, more traditional type guys. But I mean, we saw how linebackers like that, you know, we, we were talking about Ataro Laka, you know, at the top of the show uh, in his in his draft potential. I mean, when he came into the lineup. Uh, this year and, and got significant playing time. I mean, what what were always his wow moments? It was that downhill uh, downhill situation where you know guys would think they had a hole in the defensive line or, or you know just off the edge, and he would just he would just have a beat on him, take a straight line, and just run right through him. And uh, guys, you know, guys that there's there's still value for guys like that at the second level. No, uh, no question. And, and you know, uh, I'm I'll be honest with you, these are a, a couple out of state guy or you know stories and out of state guy. And uh, I don't know a whole lot about him. Uh, looking at his film, though, I, there's no way we're recruiting this cat at linebacker. Yeah. No, no, I wasn't talking about him in the context of being a linebacker. I'm just saying he's he's one of the next guys scheduled for an official. Right, right, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, no, I mean he, he's definitely impressive, man. I mean he's uh you know playing all over the field. If you check out his huddle, I mean this guy playing quarterback for his team. You know they they line him up at receiver a little bit, and obviously he's a uh, plays db as well so he's he's a guy to keep an eye on um as as far as doyle goes i definitely agree with the chris russell comparison i I think uh you know he he has that sec build that you want in the middle linebacker so uh excited to see uh him get a look yep so uh you know and like and like i said again doyle is just down to to a&m in missouri so he kind of seems like a likely uh you know we we could we can presume that that there's an edge there even when, when i talked to him before it didn't necessarily sound like mizzou had uh, just because they're the home state team didn't necessarily mean they had kind of an inherent advantage in his recruitment. Um, but you know, like I said, he's he's familiar with Joe John Finley, so you know we'll let we'll let the men work and and we'll see what we come away with in terms of Antonio. I, we we know A and M was is still uh, feeling a, a bit of a a bit of a scramble in terms of uh, stocking up on linebackers here uh, coming out of this class. So you know, so he's definitely a guy to watch. So, I mean, last thing, you know, touching on recruiting, I mean, you know, this has been, this has been a real meaty show. We've been throwing a lot of names at you and a lot of uh, likely commitments, you know, these, these next guys that we're going to talk about, you know, I just kind of wanted to talk about more, more philosophically rather than, you know, what, what they could potentially bring to the table or or how likely it is that they're going to commit. Uh, But lately we've been seeing a run of junior college offers us particularly at the cornerback position and I think that's really interesting and I um you know we we can talk about the names that the the guy that seems to be the most likely to commit out of the group thus far is Marco Domio who's a guy who played over at uh Houston Heights during his his high school days now at Blinn um you know he he seems to be kind of the most likely candidate out of the other names because a guy like Brian George a guy like Nadab Joseph uh both of those guys we saw pick up uh some pretty big SEC offers around the same time that Texas A&M offered them. Art Green was a guy I think that was offered either today or yesterday uh, as well, another junior college player. Um, you know, but but Chum, I mean, you know, taking taking a look at what we've seen here, what do you think the my the 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 philosophy, like I said, or the mindset is as far as uh, Coach Linguist and Coach Fisher choosing to you know go after these JUCO DBs because we really haven't seen a lot of you know since very early in the spring we haven't seen 
you know, your traditional high school cornerback uh, being offered here by this staff? Well, I think uh, a lot of it has to do with so much youth being in the defensive backfield for the Aggies, man. I mean, you look at some of these guys, I mean, that are coming in that are going to be projected starters from the jump, like an Eric Young or, uh, you know, even an Anaya Smith, you know, anybody like that who who is going to contribute at such a young age. I think they want a, a little bit of an older presence out there. I, mean, I think that definitely has to play a part in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, uh, well, you're right. You know, that it may be just that cut and dry. Uh, you know, I I, I think, you know, it, when I talked to Jalen Jones, uh, you know, earlier in the earlier in the spring, he had made a comment to me. And I, I know I've mentioned this before, but he made a comment to me that the staff was only thinking about taking two cornerbacks and two safeties in this class. Uh, you had brought up how tight the, the signing class is going to be even just to get to 25. We might be looking at a smaller number than that going forward. Uh, you know, so this is probably going to be a very tight defensive back group, um, especially when you talk about, you know, we we were talking about all the all the defense, ju- just the defensive linemen. This I think I think the position, uh, the, like just generally speaking, the position group that has been offered the most by this staff is defensive line between tackles and ends. A lot of defensive ends offered. Um, you know, so so somebody is going to some position group is going to get is going to have to be you know, condensed, like concentrated in terms of, in terms of its talent and the staff's confidence in it. And, you know, like you said, I mean, a lot of these guys are coming in, you know, just, just with, maybe you want to say that it's a, a touch more experience at a slightly higher level of play than, you know, than what a lot of these guys see at high school, at least they're acclimated to the college, uh, college football culture at a junior college. Um, you know, I, I think I just think it's an interesting sort of shift in philosophy that we're seeing, you know, most of these guys uh, that, that have that have come out to be offers, because really, you know, honest, honestly, I, you know, I'm not saying that there's a lack of cornerback or defensive back talent in the state of Texas, but it just really seems like, you know, outside of a guy like maybe Joshua Eaton um, or or Xavier Alford, who I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what what the level of, um, you know, the 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 severeness is in terms of, of how heavily they're recruiting those guys, you know, all the other guys, like I said, have been out of state. So uh, the out of state variety in terms of, of defensive back offers. And now here we go getting a bunch of uh, junior college guys offered as well. Maybe I can ask you, I mean, what, what do you think, what do you think is going to be the, uh, the the makeup of this defensive back group when it's all said and done. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I think uh, what this shows, you know, just kind of reverting back to your original point, real quick. I think this shows a, a very interesting versatility that this staff brings to the table. I wanted to touch on that briefly. Um, you know that that it's says, you know, I, I think that they trust their evaluations. So you know, they understand if you know maybe they miss out on a guy here or maybe. Uh, they have a, this guy lower on their board. They're not afraid to bounce around uh, until they find a group that they want. So, so I think I think that's really important to, to keep in mind as well when you're talking about their philosophy uh, on the recruiting trail. Um, to answer your question, though, you mean are you uh, asking just where who I see committing or how many DBs they see they bring into the fold or, or what exactly are you asking me here? Anything you want to say about it? I mean, because it, it could really go any number of directions. You know, I think. Uh, a lot of these guys, you know, we're getting to the time of year. I guess, I guess some of it will come down to if we see some of these out-of-state uh, defensive backs possibly make make one of these summer official visits. Uh, that that might that might kind of help clear the picture up a little bit because right now it's just so murky to me to try and like forecast, you know, who who the staff truly would like to like what their dream scenario would be as far as 
the secondary group coming out of this signing class. Right, man. You know, I think it's a little early for that. Uh, you know, I think right after they have their uh, football camp that first couple of weeks of, or in the first couple of weeks of June, uh, that, that'll uh, answer a lot of questions. And uh, from what I understand, there should be an event in July, uh, much like there was last year. Uh, whether it's a pool party or a barbecue or what, whatever it is. So, uh, you know, once those kind of um, milestones are, are passed, I think that's when things will clear up a little bit. And, and you know, we should have a much better idea of uh, where guys are at on their board from there. Yeah, we'll see uh, what the timeline is going to be for these junior college guys. Obviously, we saw after after Elijah Blades made that, um, I, mean, I can't remember what game it was for. I, I don't think it was the LSU game. It might have been the it was Elijah Blaze out of the Clemson game. I can't remember. It's too long ago now. But I mean, after after he came out for a visit during the fall, I mean, that was all it took for him to, um, you know, that that's when the tables turned towards uh, Texas A and M's favor. One last guy I want to talk on uh, before we before we wrap the show up here um, is is we've got a new quarterback offer, Chum. I don't know if you oh, noticed yeah. this. Oh, yeah, not. big fan of this kid. Yeah, you you know what we're talking about then. Haynes King out of Longview, state champion uh, this past year, and you know just really kind of. I mean, I mean, you want to talk about a guy? You want to talk about a guy who plays like Brett Favre? I guess he runs way better than Brett Favre. But I mean, just just as far as like he drops back and just is not afraid to just cut it loose and just heave the ball downfield um, and hits on a fair percent, a fair amount of those passes. Uh, you know, he's I mean, he's a gamer. He's he's a he's a fun guy to watch. You know, I, when, when I was watching him in the in the state playoffs, I mean, there were that there was there was sort of I, I guess the competition was better, too. But, you know, there were times where I kind of felt like he was sort of like a volume passer more than just kind of like a lights out sort of player. But I mean, you can't argue with the results that, that he brings to the table. And he's and he's so he's so funny because he's like. I mean, he's he's kind of he's kind of a bumpkin, <laughs> but 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 I mean, it's like endearing and it lends itself well to, you know, every, everything about him as a player. Um, you know, I'm interested, you know, so some of the other guys that I talked to in the media, I mean, were clamoring for him to get offered a long time ago. We've seen him take a number of visits to other SEC right, schools. Well, you, well, you know, that, that that's kind of what I wanted to hit on with you is, is are you one of those guys? Are you surprised? Because, I mean. Like you said, he lit it up for a lot of his junior season. And, uh, you know, looking at the guy's film, he's got a cannon, dude. So uh, I'm curious how much of that um, was due to them recruiting guy, recruiting a guy like Hornsby or, or, you know, if it's just them still trying to get familiar with the kid. Uh, I did think there's a lot of variables at hand, but were you surprised that, he, that A&M's come in so late? Uh, well, if, I mean, for him, if, if for Haynes specifically, I don't think it's that late in the process because anytime that, I mean, you know, tr- truthfully, anytime that you talk to him about recruiting, and like I said, he's taken a couple of visits, but I mean, uh, until very late in, in, in the year last year, I mean, he really hadn't pushed his recruitment forward very much at all. So I, so I don't think as far as A&M is concerned, I, I don't think it's too late for them to get in on uh on king um but but really i think it kind of speaks more to you know where the aggies are at um you know just just on their just on their board in general with their quarterback offers a lot of the guys that they had sent offers out to have committed elsewhere already to this point um and you're looking at malik hornsby just took that official visit to to north carolina and he told me at a at a seven on seven tournament earlier in the spring that you know a big part of the reason that he was interested in texas a&m was tim brewster brewster's obviously in north carolina there that that speaks to the connection that he has with unc not surprising that you know that we've seen him be very positive about uh that trip and other other offers uh that unc has sent out to other players 
they might they may have taken a look at that and been like you know what you know this is uh the ship is is kind of leaving the harbor for us, um, and, and and when everybody else on your board is committed, or um, you know, v- very likely to commit elsewhere, you've got to start taking a look at some other options. I mean, I I thought we we talked a little bit about, um, you know, just about how above I guess expectation Zach Calzada was during the spring, um, but you know, I think the feeling coming into coming into the spring was they they weren't necessarily sold on him being you know being the next man up so to speak as as far as like the next bona fide starting quarterback uh in the program despite the you know despite the nice things that um Fisher said to him uh said about him coming out of signing day and things like that I, I he may have helped this case a lot during during the spring and during the spring game but the feeling was that they really need to hit on on a quarterback that they can feel good about in the 2020 class um, and Haynes is a guy, like I said, it just won a lot of people over with his grittiness, with his production. Uh, just the, you, you look at him and you don't think you, you, there's, there's no way this kid is a running quarterback, but I mean, boy can move, uh, flat out, you know, I mean, you, you don't want to, you don't want to put it, John, I know you, you claim that you can run a four, seven, five, 40, um, <laughs> but he could probably take you. I don't know. So, and he's just so unassuming. It's really funny. But, but it, it'll be interesting to see. I, I, he's he's a guy that's he, you know, he's a guy that's going to be, uh, you know, good enough to, uh, reliable enough to talk to. I think going forward with his recruitment, recruitment too. So, I think we'll have a pretty good idea. He's, you know, he's pretty transparent with where he stands with things and relationships and things like that. So, I think throughout his recruitment, as far as A and M is concerned with them, we'll have a pretty good idea about where the Aggies stand with them going. Well, and, and another thing, and I don't touch on this uh, a whole lot, but I think he plays in a pretty, uh, pretty competitive area, man, out there in Longview. Um, you know. He's going to go against those those schools like a Gilmer, like a Gladewater, you know, uh, proven programs like that. And I think that's something that, that you would consider also when you evaluate his film. So uh, I, I'm really excited about this kid. I think that he has a lot of potential. And, and you know, uh, like I said, it's, it's going to be interesting how the quarterback uh, recruitment goes down because there's a lot of people who think that the Aggies could take two. Um, you know, obviously Malik Hornsby's still going to be in the conversation. I know uh, things are looking good in terms of where he stands in North Carolina right now, but I, I think that one's still far from over. I think that he's a guy who wants to stay in state when things are all said and done. So uh, it, it's going to be interesting, man. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if Malik is a guy who will would stay committed if the Aggies did sign another uh, another guy in the 2020 class. What do you think there? Um. I, well, I've heard a variety of things about what, um, you know, what what the staff's opinion of of Hornsby was in terms of you know what the what the plan was uh, as, as far as his potential as a as a pure quarterback prospect, and, you know, and it might it might still be too early to you know kind of speculate on that. Uh, so so I, it's, I but a two quarterback class would be tough because I mean we've already talked about you know kind of the uh, logjam that already geez. I'm trying to I'm trying to find the box score because I because I really want to I really want to find uh, that that Westbrook that Westbrook Longview box score from the state championship game so I can tell you Haynes King's stat line. <laughs> uh, hold on a second, but 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 yeah, I mean a, a two quarterback class. I mean, don't you don't you think that, that would just further add to the kind of like the perceived logjam that we have a, a quarterback on on the roster already? Right. Well, you you know, especially when you consider that Mon's more likely than not going to come back for his senior year. Uh, you know, it, at this point in time, it would shock me if he ends up declaring, uh, you know, in a year early, and then you you look behind him and you still have a Connor Bloomrick and 
you have two younger classmen in Calzada and Foster. So I, I, I guess, uh, I guess, guess you're right in, in that perspective. So let's see. So Haynes King per max preps <laughs> in the state title game against Westbrook. I mean, did you, did you watch that game? Dude, I no? watched about a quarter of it. Uh, I, so I was up in the, I was up in the press box for that game. Cause you know, they run these state championship games like all day long, you know, and you kind of have to like pick and choose your mo- I mean, you can stay down on the field all day long uh and work you know and be on your feet all day and work but it's you know it's a grind it's like even if you know even if you're a reporter or whatever and you and you're just kind of standing around i mean you're you're running because space of anyway i won't get into the into the minutiae of that but i but i thought this was the game that i could kind of chill out on because i had seen haynes a couple of weeks before and uh, a couple of times during the season and i just did not expect it to blow up to be the game that it turned out being so haynes king stat line from this game was he was 16 of 27 passing for 425 yards and two touchdowns and he ran for another 65 yards and a touchdown um so uh, yeah, let's let's see what he did the week before because I, I know that was a big game for him too against uh Tascos because this is I, I was at that game as well um against Tescosa he was I don't think they have a stats right for this one those probably weren't put in all the way uh, because they scored 45 points and they only have him down as throwing for 87 yards. So I don't think that's <laughs> that's accurate. But anyway, I mean, you know, like I said, he's just a slinger. He's just like a he's like a good old boy from the country that is going to get results one way or the other. And it doesn't matter if he has to like throw a ton of passes to do it. He's built for it and he wants it. And I think, you know, I mean, he's you know, there, there's going to be there's going to be some competition from some other SEC teams. Uh, but, you know, I think, you know, I think as far as quarterback recruiting goes, uh, A&M always has a little bit of a leg up because not only are you getting recruited by, uh, you know, Daryl Dickey, the offensive coordinator, you're getting recruited by Jimbo Fisher, first and foremost, who has really kind of mastered the art of, you know, wowing guys when they come to take a visit. And he brings them into the office, kind of sells them on the program, the importance of having each kid in the program that they recruit and just has a, just has a bona fide reputation of developing quarterbacks throughout his coaching career. So, um, you know, so I think A&M has as good a chance as any, I don't think it's too late uh, for, for him, uh, you know, to, to consider the Aggie seriously. As of right now, uh, who would you say is the biggest threat? Well, I, I don't know because, uh, because he was so, he was, he downplayed like the involvement from, from everybody prior to now. I, the, the two schools that I ever remember him talking about were, I think Baylor, who, you know, is in early on every single prospect in the state of Texas, no matter what, um, whether they're good or bad, just to kind of get their foot in the door and we'll see what happens. And, uh, I think TCU, I, TCU was in there. I think TCU might be, uh, as far as in-state schools go, probably the the heavy co- contender for him. But we just saw him take a recent visit to Auburn. Um, is the is the team that sticks out in my mind just just from what I remember seeing. So, um, but but he I know he has a pretty good uh, pretty good existing relationship with Sonny Cumbie, the the offensive coordinator out there at TCU. But I mean, we saw what happened with TCU last year offensively. Uh, what happened to the quarterbacks position specifically? Uh, and they're kind of a mess right now. And uh, hopefully, hopefully that that as far as A and M is concerned, hopefully that continues on for one more season. Uh, and, you know, and kind of you know kind of continues to 
put put TCU stock down a little bit as far as quarterback recruiting goes, and uh, and that'll only help A and M. Where where did uh, where did your boy end up transferring to? Well, what was his last name? Robinson. Missouri. Robinson, Shawnee Robinson, a, uh, you know, yeah, the guy that everybody told me I was, I was never allowed in Fort Worth uh, ever again after after he got bumped down to a three star. And look at him now; he's uh, not even this, not even necessarily the projected starting quarterback for Missouri, which he transferred to. So, uh, congratulations to him. Best of luck. Uh, happy, <laughs> happy. I saved some face on that one. Gary Patterson still has not unblocked me from Twitter, and uh, but Zarnell Fitch. Uh, did retweet my story on uh, Keenan Caldwell that I just posted today. Uh, you know, TCU is the other is the other um, in-state team that's that's competing heavily for the defensive tackle out of Louisiana. So, go take a look at that story on the other ninety-eight Take a look at all of our content. It's it's been a you know I know during the summer it can be a little bit of blase blase as they say, but you know lots of baseball content still going up by Jake. Uh, <laughs> I almost called him Caldwell. Uh, Jay Arnold, <laughs> so many names that I've talked. We about. are officially rebranding uh, Jay. Running, I'm running out of gas uh, <laughs> as as we approach the hour mark here on this podcast. But but uh, but anyway, thanks thanks for listening. Hopefully you subscribed. Leave us a rating and review. Obviously that helps us with our visibility. Uh, you know, like I said, we may or may not be back next week, but but after that, for sure, we'll be back to the weekly status. I think, uh, Chum. Thanks for thanks for helping me out, bailing me out when uh you know when I <laughs> ran out of words or was looking something up. Hey, good to be back, buddy. 